You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. A prominent Vancouver businessman and Order of BC recipient is facing charges in a U.S. college bribery scandal. The scheme allegedly involved famous actors, business leaders, and other wealthy parents bribing insiders to get their children into big-name schools. Fifty people charged today, including local businessman David Sidhu, actress Lori Loughlin, and Felicity Huffman, just to name a few. Catherine Urquhart now on how it all unraveled. Vancouver's David Sidhu is well known for his football career and philanthropy. Now the 59-year-old is charged with mail and wire fraud amid a massive cheating scandal involving college entrance exams in the United States. We're talking about deception and fraud. Fake test scores, fake athletic credentials, fake photographs, bribed college officials. Sidhu is among 50 people charged by federal prosecutors in connection with the scheme to get students into elite schools. Also charged, Hollywood actresses Felicity Huffman and Lori Loughlin. The scheme was masterminded by this man, William Singer, who pleaded guilty in Boston today to racketeering, conspiracy and obstruction of justice. In total, Singer collected more than $25 million from wealthy parents. For every student admitted through fraud, an honest, genuinely talented student was rejected. It's alleged David Sidhu paid $200,000 to have someone take SATs for his two sons in 2011 and 2012. In exchange for that money, Singer arranged for Florida resident Mark Riddell to fly to Vancouver and take the exams. One son eventually attended Chapman, the other Berkeley. It's also alleged Riddell wrote provincial high school exams in Vancouver for one of the Sidhu children. Obviously, it's a serious issue that we are going to address, and Mr. Sidhu will appear in court as required, and we will defend the case. Sidhu was arrested March 8th at the airport in San Jose, California. He remained in custody over the weekend and was released Monday. His next court appearance in Boston. The allegations that have been lodged against him are completely out of character. There's two sides to every story. Mr. Sidhu maintains his innocence, and we look forward to defending him in court. Sidhu's lawyer says he will be asking the U.S. federal court to grant Sidhu unrestricted travel, pointing to the Vancouverites' philanthropy and Sidhu's claim that he is innocent of the charges against him. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. And we are already seeing fallout locally from this scandal. Sources telling Global News, film and television crews working on actress Lori Loughlin's garage sale mystery show, based in Vancouver, say the production has been halted and all those employees laid off, at least for now. U.S. aviation experts have now joined a worldwide investigation into the crash of an Ethiopian Airlines plane that killed all 157 people on board, including 18 Canadians. It's the second deadly crash of a 737 MAX 8 plane in the last few months, prompting a growing number of countries to keep the jets on the ground. Global's Jeff Semple reports from Ethiopia. I'll take a look. 
This is the crash site, just a couple of hours' drive outside of the Ethiopian capital, Addis Abeba. And needless to say, it's horrific. There are literally thousands of items of debris strewn for hundreds of meters here, many of them recognizable items. Sweaters, a single sandal just over there. Each item is this heart-wrenching reminder of the 157 lives that were lost in this plane crash on Sunday, including 18 Canadians. American investigators have now joined this search and this investigation in part because this plane was American-made, built by American aviation giant Boeing. It was, in fact, one of their newer models, a Boeing 737 MAX 8 series, which had only been flying commercially for the past couple of years. But in just the past five months, two of those planes have been involved in horrific crashes like this one. A growing number of countries and airlines around the world have now suspended all flights involving those Boeing MAX series aircraft. This investigation expected to last many months. Jeff Semple, Global News, near Ijeri in Ethiopia. As mentioned, the number of countries that have now grounded the 737 MAX 8 is growing and pressure is mounting on Canada to do the same. Tanya Beja is at YVR Forest tonight. Tanya, what do travelers here who are potentially booked on one of those planes need to know? Well, Sophie, uh, depending on where travelers are headed, they may be rebooked on other planes or rerouted through other cities, but the situation is changing quickly. At airports around the world, airlines are parking the Boeing 737 MAX 8. I think we should too till everything's examined and we know doggone well that the safety is first class. A little concerning. Um, it's going to make me look at the uh, what kind of plane we're flying on. I usually don't do that. The European Union, Australia, India and China among the growing number of countries closing their airspace to the model involved in the Ethiopian Airlines crash that killed 157 people. For all the airlines, especially Air Canada and WestJet that have a number of these in their flight, they're going to be scrambling to get other aircraft to fill in the space. Um, I can only imagine that is a massive undertaking for all of the airlines that would need to do this. The union representing Air Canada flight attendant says they don't want to be forced to fly on Boeing 737 MAX 8 airplanes. The federal NDP also calling on the Canadian government to ground the model. But Canada's transportation minister says he's waiting for answers on the cause of the crash. I have directed my uh, group of uh, experts to be ready for all possibilities, including a decision to ground uh, Max 8s, but at this point we have not taken any decision. And that's forcing some families to take matters into their own hands. Priya Flanagan was supposed to fly to Montreal from Palm Springs on a Max 8. Her father bought a new ticket on another plane instead. I don't know of any parent who would feel comfortable in putting a plane, your, your daughter onto a plane that, that you can't fly in the majority of the world. But travel agents say switching now will cost you. At the moment, there's no compensation being offered by Canadian Airlines. So if someone chooses to cancel, they're at the terms and conditions under which they book. Well, Tanya, lots of people booked to fly for spring break, which is coming up very soon. What can travelers do? What options do they have? Well, Sophie, we just received an update from Air Canada about half an hour ago. They say that they now have a flexible rebooking option 
in place if you are concerned about traveling on the MAX 8. And so uh, they are offering travelers the option of booking onto another aircraft if there's space available. But they're also cautioning that uh, travelers could have a hard time getting through on the phone because of the high call volume. Sophie and Chris, back to you. I would think for sure. All right, Tanya, thank you. Richmond RCMP are investigating what's becoming an all-too-familiar scenario, often connected to the Lower Mainland gang conflict. A shooting followed by a vehicle fire. Sarah McDonald is live on Mitchell Island for us tonight, where a 25-year-old man was found with gunshot wounds this morning. Sarah. Chris, that's right. That scenario is all too familiar uh, here in the Lower Mainland, and this is where the latest one happened this morning. Uh, gunfire erupting behind me in this industrial area in Richmond on the 11,000 block of Twigs Place on Mitchell Island. Officers arrived to find the victim in this case, a 25-year-old man suffering from gunshot wounds. He was hospitalized with what were initially described as potentially life-threatening injuries. His condition has since been upgraded to stable. Now, a short while after that shooting that landed the victim in hospital, another call came into police, this time for a vehicle fire not far away on the 5600 block of Number 7 Road. This sequence of events is a hallmark of targeted shootings we've seen so many times before in this province, but authorities at this point say they can't confirm these two incidents are linked. Other than to say the victim in this case was targeted, the shooter is still at large, but it's believed witnesses on scene caught a glimpse of the suspect fleeing on foot. A witness at the scene reported seeing a man wearing all black running away from the scene. We have yet to identify that man, so if you are a witness to either the shooting or the vehicle file, we're asking that you call our investigators at the Richmond Darcy MP. Now, because this incident is believed to be targeted, RCMP say the public is not directly at risk. But, of course, that shooting did happen in a busy public area at the height of the morning rush. Needless to say, as you just heard, police are eager to get the person or persons responsible off the streets. As you heard, Chris, anyone with information is asked to call Richmond RCMP. All right, Sarah McDonald in Richmond. Thanks, Sarah. A heroic rescue involving a fiery crash near Port Alberni this morning. RCMP believe an eastbound vehicle crossed into the westbound lane, causing the crash and one of the vehicles to burst into flames. Witnesses say one of the drivers, along with three other Good Samaritans, pulled the other driver out of the burning vehicle. We could not open that door. At that time, we said we got to get his seatbelt off uh, to try to get him out through the window. The gentleman was conscious. Uh, he was in obvious pain and wanted to get out as the flames were coming up uh, fast. So we got him out about halfway out the window and we noticed that we couldn't pull any harder and he couldn't move any further because his foot was stuck underneath a, a pedal or something underneath. So I immediately went over to the passenger side and tried to reach inside to um, see if I could unlodge or see what was going on. But it was full of smoke. Flames were coming up. So I yanked on something. I don't know what it was. And at the same time, the other gentleman was pulling and ran back over to the other side. And the two of us uh, managed to wedge him out of the window and pull him out to safety. The roads were wet and slippery at the time, and it's believed weather may have been a factor in the crash. Premier John Horgan putting Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum on notice when it comes to McCallum's plans for a police force and SkyTrain in his city. Horgan says the province does have a say, and Keith Baldry joins us now from Victoria with more on this. Keith, what is Horgan's point here? What's he trying to accomplish? 
I think the point he's trying to make is he's in charge. Doug McCallum is not when it comes to the issue of establishing an independent police force in Surrey. Uh, obviously a contentious issue for a number of reasons. Uh, but Surrey is a pivotal electoral battleground come the next election. So the wishes and desires of uh, Surrey residents, whether it's SkyTrain or Surrey Police, have to be minded by the BC NDP. Uh, the Premier seemed to go out of his way to point out that the, or seemed to, uh, uh, indicate that the mandate that Doug McCallum got in that election was rather small. Just 33% of the electorate uh, bothered to, to turn out and vote. Nevertheless, the Premier again pointed out at the end of the day, it is Mike Farnworth's call, not Doug McCallum's call when it comes to a police force. We have to have a say, of course, in policing in British Columbia. We have to have a say also in what uh, technology we use for uh, transit development in, in British Columbia. We relied on the Mayor's Council to give us guidance when it came to transportation initiatives. We'll continue to take guidance from the Mayor's Council on what's best for the Lower Mainland. When it comes to policing, though, the Minister of Public Safety has a role to play, and I know Minister Farnworth has been in touch with Mayor McCallum, and they've had significant conversations. We'll have to take a look at the report they're going to prepare for us, and, and where it goes from there is up to Minister Farnworth. Some numbers I'm going to throw at you. Nine is the number of ridings in Surrey. Six of those are held by the NDP. 33, that was the low turnout in that municipal election that put Doug McCallum in the mayor's office. And 60, that was the turnout in the provincial election. Clearly more people voting in that provincial election for the NDP than voted for Mr. McCallum. And unless he can show evidence that that police force is not only more economic and, and viable and doable, but also popular, the whole idea, I think, is dead on arrival. Chris? We'll see what happens. Thanks very much, Keith. Well, the Legislative Committee looking into how to implement ride-sharing has completed its work, and the public will soon find out what the province plans on doing. The most contentious issues, whether ride-sharing drivers are required to get a Class 4 license. Richard Zussman has more. The driver of this taxi cab and all other taxi cabs in British Columbia have Class 4 licenses. Now the debate is about whether ride-sharing drivers should also have Class 4 licenses. The committee tasked with looking at that very issue has finished their deliberations. We're not sure yet exactly what they're going to recommend, but we do know that a majority of the members of the committee have spoken out in the past against the prohibitive Class 4 commercial license. Instead, the four Liberal MLAs and Green Party MLA Adam Olson have said they're interested in what would be known as a Class 5 Plus. That would include mechanical checks for any vehicles used for ride sharing, as well as background checks for the drivers. Adam Olson, the Green Party MLA, says that what they want to ensure is public safety. Whether it's about a license or whether it's about certain aspects of this license or that license, I think it's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a distraction from can we ensure that British Columbians are safe? The committee was also tasked with looking at prices as well as whether taxis and ride-sharing companies should be restricted to pick up and drop off in different areas, especially in Metro Vancouver. The committee is expected to present their final report and it will be made public by the end of March. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Right now, though, another nightmare story tonight about identity theft and how it can cost you thousands of dollars. A Fraser Valley couple is fighting with their bank after someone used her information to buy a luxury car. Grace Key reports. Joey Abra and his wife recently got a letter from Scotia Bank saying she has 10 days to start making payments on a $99,000 loan for a 2016 Range Rover they don't own. Turns out his wife was the victim of identity theft. 
I was impressed our credit was that good, to be honest. But uh, yeah, like it was, it was a shock for sure. It all started on December 5th when someone walked into a dealership, got approved for a loan and drove off with the Range Rover. Within days, ICBC called his wife to say a fraudulent driver's license number was used to register the vehicle in her name. And right away, they called Scotiabank. They said, get your police report done, bring us a notarized letter. We did both those things, brought it to the branch. Our understanding was that was it. They would put it to fraud investigation and, and we're good. But then we started getting letters from them saying, hey, you haven't paid us money. Two months had gone by since the ABAs first walked into the Abbotsford branch. When they called the fraud department, they were told the department never got the paperwork. The case had to be reopened. How does it take three months? Like genuinely, like what have you been doing on that end? Like, and how does it get two months of just a piece of paper sitting on someone's desk? Scotiabank has launched an investigation but can't comment because of privacy concerns, adding they have strong internal controls and processes in place and continually invests in people, processes and technology to improve preventive and detective measures. Their story is similar to Mola Johnson's from Edmonton. Last year, someone used her ID to buy a Range Rover from a Langley dealership, taking out a $106,000 loan also from Scotia Bank. Joey isn't sure how his wife's ID was stolen. The couple just wants this mess to be cleared up soon. I'm just, yeah, beyond frustrated at this point. Like they're saying, yeah, it should be done in 10 days, but do I believe them? No. Grace Key, Global News. We are getting some new insight into B.C.'s non-resident home ownership. A new housing report indicates just over 6% of properties in B.C. have at least one non-resident owner. 2.5% are owned by a mix of resident and non-resident owners, and 3.7% owned strictly by non-residents. Now, the report also indicates it was more common for non-residents to buy newer properties with greater median assessment values. And condominiums were the most popular type of property for non-residents. Let's talk about those mansions, shall we? Because some of Vancouver's most expensive properties are now available for rent and relatively cheaply. It's one of the possible side effects of that vacant home and speculation tax as owners try to avoid paying tens of thousands of dollars to the government. But as Aaron MacArthur reports, there's a catch. Large houses on large lots with extra large tax bills. People on Vancouver's west side with empty homes are facing a conundrum. If they can't sell, pay the taxes or rent it out. But who can afford a six-bedroom palace going for seven grand a month? That being said, if we divide that amongst ten people, it may be more affordable than even our rents for a new one-bedroom. Turns out that is actually illegal. City bylaws on the books prevent unrelated people from living together. The city, in 1956, deciding what a family was and hasn't bothered to change it. The bylaw is not enforced, but DiGenova wants city council to make things simpler for more people to be allowed to rent together. That some of these bylaws are quite complicated because it's not just about changing the bylaw. What do we change these bylaws to? Proponents of the empty home tax point to these rentals as a sign the policy is working. SFU finance professor Andre Pavlov disagrees. Revenue projections for the vacancy tax remain flat. It would put homes on the market so there will be fewer vacant homes and that tax would be expected to decline. In Vancouver, only about 15% of vacant homes have been put back in the rental market. Is that better than nothing? Yes, but that pales in comparison to the huge backlog they have in City Hall of, of um, 
apartments that people want to build stuff. While there are plenty of large homes for rent on Craigslist, a majority still destined for families with deep pockets. A group of young students trying to split the rent 12 ways is hardly the preferred option. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, the issue of cell phones in classrooms is front and center tonight after Ontario announced today it will ban them as of next year. Many parents here might be hoping B.C. follows suit, but as Kylie Stan reports, that's not a call the province is willing to make. I have it in my hand, literally. No, it was in my pocket. They're never very far. In fact, usually well within reach. Pretty overly accessible, yeah, all the time. Between texting, the calculator function, and the bus schedule, cell phones have become a lifeline for students. I use it all the time. Yeah, maybe I'm kind of addicted, actually. <laughs> so just the thought of being separated from the small devices during school hours is causing massive anxiety. I don't think they should do it. But come September, that will be the case for Ontario students. The provincial government there announcing a cell phone classroom ban during instructional time. The only exception would be if a teacher decides to use the devices as part of their lesson. Now the question is, will it happen here? We're not considering that at this time. I don't think that the school districts typically welcome blanket edicts uh, that are centrally dictated from the Ministry of Education. Uh, I do think, though, that we should uh, be talking to school districts about their experiences, uh, what they think uh, are the best practices for schools. While there's no province or district-wide policy, some schools are banning cell phones on an individual basis. I have a kid in a school where uh, they're not allowed to use cell phones. But experts argue the technology isn't going anywhere, and the best way to deal with that is through education. If we can get young students using technologies in healthier ways, the better use of that technology will not only be a benefit for the uh, emerging economy that we have, but also how we find time and balance in our personal lives and our professional. According to the BC Teachers Federation, there is no specific policy or position on personal devices in classrooms. In a statement, it said, we do, however, believe strongly in professional autonomy and that each teacher has the skill set to decide what's right for their classroom. I would have been so lost without my phone. Which means, at least for now, these students can continue to keep them close. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Could there finally be a light at the end of the tunnel in getting homeless people off the streets? As the annual homeless count begins tonight, at least one outreach organization says it is seeing signs of progress. Nadia Stewart tells us why. It is the slightest glimmer of hope in what has been a dark situation. Jeremy Hunka with Union Gospel Mission says there are signs this year's homeless count might show a decrease. The reason is our turnaways this winter are way down from previous winters. Turnaways are the number of people shelters turn away when beds are full. Between October and February of last year, there were about 540 turnaways at UGM. This winter, the number dropped to 160. UGM believes modular housing is a key factor. If we move people into housing and get them supports around that, we're much more likely to end homelessness in that person's life. Last year's homeless count revealed there were more people living on the streets of Vancouver than ever before. Over 2,100 people. About two-thirds were in and out of temporary accommodations, such as shelters. Steps are now being taken to assist the growing number of campers at Oppenheimer Park. 
The park board voting to add warming shelters and lockers for the homeless. I think it shows uh, care. I'm hopeful the same type of motion is going before city council and I'm hopeful that they will uh, uh, pass it as well. But the count will also reveal who is still falling through the cracks. Often it's those with serious mental health concerns, indigenous men and women, and a growing number of youth. The ones in need of the most help who aren't always best served by modular housing. If there is a reduction, SFU Health Sciences professor Julian Summers says this population likely isn't reflected there. The money we're spending is considerable, um, and it's actually not going to reach the members of our society who we ought to be most concerned about and for whom the opportunity to offset costs is the greatest. The homeless count begins Tuesday night in the city's shelters and continues Wednesday on city streets. Nadia Sturkelbull News. The eyes to the right, 242. The nose to the left, 391. British Prime Minister Theresa May handed the second defeat of her Brexit plan today. It comes just 17 days before Britain is supposed to part ways with the European Union forever. And that was a crushing defeat for May, pushing her political career closer to the edge. And for the UK, one step closer to political and economic chaos. Bill Neely reports. Humiliated again, Britain's Prime Minister Theresa May failing for a second time this year to get lawmakers to back her Brexit plan. The time has come to back this deal. They ignored her. The eyes to the right, 242. The nose to the left, 391. Like her voice, she sounded broken. I profoundly regret the decision that this House has taken. She spent over two years negotiating her deal with European leaders. Now Britain risks crashing out of Europe. Its people have been warned of a national emergency, with trade and travel disrupted. Medicines and food stockpiled already. Fears of violence in Northern Ireland if border checkpoints with the EU are imposed. Britain is in crisis. Its link with Europe for the last half century will be cut in 17 days unless another path is found. The United Kingdom more divided than ever. Caught on video, a pair of police officers in Georgia rescuing a man from his burning car. The officers had to break the window because the doors were too hot to touch. They dragged the driver out with just seconds to spare. The driver wasn't seriously injured, but was arrested for DUI and reckless driving. Police say that he didn't even realize his car was on fire. A huge recall from Honda tonight, affecting more than 1.2 million vehicles. The issue is with Takata airbag inflators in 2001 to 2016 models. They can explode and send shrapnel into the passenger compartment. The recall affects many Honda and Acura models across North and Central America, including about 84,000 vehicles in Canada. In Health Matters tonight, scientists have discovered a number of factors that contribute to dementia, but a new study appears to rule something out. French research suggests that a healthy diet rich in vegetables, fruit and whole grains 
might not have an effect on dementia. 8,000 adults were followed for two decades. The study found the quality of a person's diet during their 50s was not associated with the risk for dementia. To Vancouver Island, entrepreneurs think they can make cheap fuel out of garbage. And they're hoping to prove it this week at the BC Tech Summit in Vancouver. Premier John Horgan was at the summit today and got a quick lesson in the low-key 5K. The unit, they say, takes organic waste and breaks it down into pathogen-free pellets that can be used in many different ways, including for fuel. It can be used for many different things. It's depending what goes into the waste, it could become a soil amendment. It can also be used as a biofuel, so it can be pelletized into a pellet format and burned to create energy. The inventors say the unit can be built on any scale, from small enough to fit on a boat to large enough to handle the waste of an entire city. Right now, they're looking for investors to take the next step towards production. The BC Tech Summit wraps up tomorrow. Well, with the first all-female spacewalk scheduled for later this month, the head of NASA makes an eye-opening comment on the future of women in space. We'll tell you right after the forecast. Right now, though, let's check in with a woman in meteorology. That's Christy <laughs> Gordon, who's been watching mm -hmm. some of that snowfall. you got a beautiful picture behind you. This is from Abbotsford this morning. Big fluffy flakes there, but a lot of areas across Metro Vancouver only saw rain. We're going to quickly talk about that. But yes, this was a scene in Abbotsford. Also, look at this shot from Mission this morning. Great shot. Thanks to Alexandra for that one. And Agassi, a light dusting there. So it was mainly a rain event. This was at 7 p.m. last night. We we were seeing a transition towards snow across these northern regions, but it didn't quite make it all the way. The temperatures didn't quite drop all the way. So we hovered around three degrees, just not enough. And for a lot of people, that was great news. So rain, except for Burnaby, Coquitlam saw 67 centimeters over higher terrain. Surrey saw a little bit. This is the scene out there right now. A beautiful day. Certainly the skies cleared. And this is what you have to look forward to. Now, this doesn't mean complete sunshine, but the general trend is is certainly a warming one by the weekend near seasonal values and by early next week you can expect us to be flirting with record-breaking heat now this is the fraser valley i'll show you metro vancouver in a second you're going to like these numbers also but first eastern section still some snowfall through the overnight period that system will push out overnight and you've got a beautiful wednesday in store for you but it's this system that we're watching you remember i mentioned that we're not going to see complete sunshine with that warming trend yes we will feel the effects of this on Thursday, but it won't be too bad and it will be short-lived. So there's the rainfall mainly in the afternoon for the north coast. Inland regions not feeling the effects of that, uh, but we will across the south coast come Thursday. For tomorrow though, a nice mix of sun and cloud across the south coast. Slight chance of an isolated shower flurry in the Fraser Valley tomorrow morning, but this is what I want to point out. Two days of just a few showers, but the key is that warming trend. By the weekend, near seasonal values and early next Next week, terrific conditions with heat, flirting with record-breaking conditions. And it's fantastic because it is spring break for a lot of the kids out there. And I'll leave you with another shot of the snowfall. And this was, again, the northern, a rare northern hawk owl, owl, owl that has been spotted in the lower mainland because it has been so cold. <laughs> Very cool. Thanks, Great Christy. Shot. The head of NASA is making headlines tonight with a bold prediction for the future of women in space travel. An upcoming spacewalk at the International Space Station will feature two female astronauts for the first time ever. NASA head Jim Bridenstine says that wasn't planned ahead of time, it just worked out that way. 
And in an interview today, he goes a step further, saying the next person to walk on the moon and very likely the first person to walk on Mars will be women for no other reason that the there's a big increase in female astronauts. It's great so many women getting involved in science. Mm -hmm. Tell ya, pretty smart. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're leading the way, you blazed the trail. All right, well, I would love to go to space, but I'm not that smart. Yes, you are. I'll put my name in the lottery. <laughs> no matter what. have the money the in the colony. future. That's all you need. Mm -hmm. uh, That's a good point. Okay. All right, what do you have? I got lots. <laughs> I'll start with the first thing and then go to the last thing. Uh, for some reason, this century, the Vancouver Canucks have had a propensity to find defensemen who have bad luck with injuries. Sammy Salo, we all remember him. Alex Edler, even Ole Levy has had injury issues. Quinn Hughes showed up with a sore ankle. But Chris Tanev has been very unlucky. When you look at his long list of injuries over the years, you would think that he doesn't play with pads. And remember when the mumps went around the NHL a couple of years ago? Chris Tanev got them too. But he refuses to get down despite being knocked down so many times. Well, there's Chris Tanev, and you can see Getzlaff comes in. and It's become an all-too-familiar sight and feeling for Chris Tanev. Tanev's ankle bearing the brunt of a collision with Ryan Getzlaff. This, after healing up a banged-up hip, suffered a few months ago, which once again caused him to miss significant time in the lineup. I mean, I think I played 45 games last year, 50-something um, the year before, and then, I mean, hopefully I get a, a thing it'll be mid-60s if I, I stay healthy the rest of the year. So, I mean, yeah. It definitely, uh, it definitely sucks, and I'd, I'd like to be out there for all 82. It's not a stretch to say Chris Tanev has basically spent his entire career with the Canucks in pain. Name a season you don't recall seeing him wince or hobble off the ice due to another injury. You can't. It's why his dressing room stall has been void of a healthy body for 40% of the eligible games that he could have suited up for during his nine years here in Vancouver. In just under a decade of NHL service, Chris has averaged just 49 games a season. A lot of the stuff in the past has been from blocking shots, and I've, I've probably 80% of it has been, I mean, things that I really can't control, broken bones or, or things like that. And I mean, if you're going to be play against the best guys and play on the PK, it's, it's something you have to do. Um, things happen quick out there, and it's sort of... Uh, bang bang plays and I, I'm just doing everything I can to try and keep the puck out of our net. You know from a coaching staff obviously we miss him when he's out. He's, uh, he's a big part of our group. He plays the heavy minutes, he plays the hard minutes, he takes the load off of a lot of our guys, uh, the parts of the game that are, that are hard, especially at this time of year. For a 29 year old defenseman, Tanev has a lot of miles on a beaten and battered body. Following the season, he has a year remaining on a contract that pays just under four and a half million dollars. Then he becomes an unrestricted free agent. Makes you wonder what his Canucks future looks like. Me and Jim have talked in the past and he, I think he likes me and I love being here and it's a great city and a great team so I hope to stay here as long as I can. The Canucks have signed university free agent defenseman Josh Tevez make that who was captain at Princeton University. He comes here at the age of 24. He's a guy who knows BC well. He played junior hockey in both Fernie and Merritt. And he played right through his senior year at Princeton. Not this past season, but last year he led all NCAA defensemen with an average of just over a point per game. So he does have some offensive skills, as you can see here. He might be able to step in right away. In fact, I think Vancouver will like him to step in right away because they've only signed him to a one-year contract. Let's see what they got. All right, Penguins tonight in Capitals. That means Crosby against Ovechkin. 
Well, it's 2 nothing. Washington. Whoops. Nice steal there by former Canuck draft pick Jared McCann. Interestingly enough, they traded McCann to Florida for Gabrants, and now McCann and Gabranson are both on the Pittsburgh Penguins. He set up Gensel there. And look at this pass here. Justin Schultz. Over the head and right to Crosby, and Sidney Crosby gets a deuce. And 5-3 the final for Pittsburgh. One great scorer to another. Cristiano Ronaldo and Juventus trying to come back in their uh, two-game total goal series against Atletico Madrid and Champions League. They were down 2-0 after one game, and then Ronaldo scored three. This being the third, his 52nd career hat trick. They win it 3-2 on aggregate, and Man City won their game 7-0 over Shaka, so they won that aggregate 10-2. Denis Shapovalov in Indian Wells against Marin Silic. Shapo wins the first set 6-4. Now to the second set. And Bianca Andreescu won her match, so she's on to the quarters, and so is Shapovalov. Straight set win over Shilic. There you go. All right. Any future one-handed catches by Odell Beckham Jr. will now be made in a Cleveland Browns uniform. He was traded by the Giants to Cleveland this afternoon for a first-round draft pick. This year, a third-round draft pick and safety Jabril Peppers, who's pretty good. Beckham Jr. hasn't been as productive or as healthy the last couple of years, but a better quarterback in Cleveland, namely Baker Mayfield instead of Eli Manning, should help him to be a lot better with the Browns. Oh, check this out. The old hidden ball trick, Miguel Cabrera. Right there, I still got it. Ahire Andrianza of Minnesota is fooled. One more look. Fakes it, he throws it back. He's on the bag there. Fakes the throw back to the pitcher. Now he's off the bag. Now he's out. Is that allowed? It's allowed. It's dirty pool, but it's allowed. You've got to pay attention. Wow. There you go. You do not want to go back to the dugout. When that's, that yeah, that is, that's truly embarrassing. Here's your snow report for tonight. So happy to be reporting a ton of new snow. Whistler Blackcomb 18 centimeters, Grouse 12, Cypress 15, and Sasquatch a whopping 26. Revelstoke picked up 14 new, Fernie didn't get any, but Manning Park has two, and Whitewater eight. Big White also eight centimeters, Silver Star four, Sun Peaks just missing it, Kicking Horse 16, Mount Washington 10, and Powder King the winner again with 45 centimeters. Coming up on ET Canada, Dumbo gets a premiere and Britney Spears gets a musical. Plus, the South by Southwest Festival continues with Kevin Costner and Jacob Tremblay. That's coming up at 7 right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris and Sophie. All right. Thanks very much, Paul. Well, medically assisted death has always been a sensitive subject, but since it became legal in 2016, thousands of Canadians have already made that choice. And a terminally ill South Okanagan man is one of them deciding to die on his own terms by throwing a party complete with music, whiskey and cigars. Global Shelby Tom reports. Laramie belts out a tune about love, written by her husband Dan, at a house party in Karameas on Saturday, March 2nd. But this is no ordinary gathering. At the end of the night, Dan will die a medically assisted death. It was a beautiful song, and I think for me it was like one of my biggest feelings of connection. The 68-year-old local musician decided he wanted to die on his own terms. He was fighting a losing battle with diabetes, kidney disease, and gangrene that spread throughout his body. 
Multiple limbs had already been amputated. He always said, I don't want people just nipping away at my body, cutting pieces off. And that's actually what had started to happen. So the couple decided to host a farewell party at their close friend's home, dubbed Dan's Day. They invited 50 of who Steph described as the right people. A couple of times I posted to make sure that people understood that at this party, Dan would be dying. When the day came, Dan was surrounded by his favorite people and his favorite things. A potluck dinner, whiskey, cigars, and of course, the music. He was happy, he was laughing, he was past tears. You know, he would have people on his chest crying and I'd see his hand go just touch the back of their neck and soothe them. At the end of the night, when it was time to say goodbye, a doctor and a nurse walked through this door. Dan signed the paperwork and the injections were administered to a crowd of cheers and applause. Dr. Robinson looked at him and said, are you ready? And the look on Dan's face, oh my goodness. I just knew that we just this was exactly the right thing to do. She's found peace in Dan's passing instead of sorrow, and she'll always remember him with a song. If you ain't got love, you ain't tough enough. Love you, Dan. Shelby Tom, Global News. Wow. Amazing. Beautiful voice, too. And part of it's removing the stigma around it. Mm-hmm. Stories like that help. I think. Get to go it his own way. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, with people he loves who are smiling at the end, so, mm-hmm. and not sad. And boy, do they have a lot of CDs. Yeah, <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's true. CDs. Music lovers, for sure. <laughs> All right, over to you, Christy. Last word on weather? Sure. So tomorrow, it will be a nice day. Nine degrees. We're slowly climbing towards near seasonal values over the weekend. But the key, everyone, is next week, we could be flirting with record-breaking conditions. So we'll watch to see that uh, happen. And, of course, it's spring break, so it's perfect timing for a lot wow. of the kids out there. Nailed it. Can we all go on spring break? <laughs> I'm planning to. <laughs> <laughs> me too. It's you and me. We don't have kids. Thanks for watching. Have a good night.